at Exodus chapter 2, the whole chapter. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, it was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and looking on their, bur and looking on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. He, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father Ruel, he, and he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have, become, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Morning, everyone. My name is Jared, and I'm pastor here at, at High Wycombe. Great to have you with us. And... Um, before uh, we get started, just one more quick announcement is that for next Sunday, we have um, a combined service at Maidavel, which is our mother church, uh, where 
Rob Cox will be ordained as a ruling elder. So that's we won't be meeting here next Sunday, but we'll be meeting at, at Maidavell, which is 105 Watsonia Road, Maidavell. And um, if you need to know where that is, you can come and talk to me or use Google Maps. <laughs> um, and yeah, we're going to meet there. The service starts at 10 um, and it'll be a great time of celebrating uh, Rob coming in as an as an elder. Um, we'll uh, have, have prayers for him and everything and then we'll have a a sermon and then after that we'll have a, a picnic lunch so bring your own lunch for a picnic and and there'll be sports and games and stuff as well so we'll have there'll be some races uh there's a there's a cup out there in the foyer that we are currently in possession of i think that i think there's a bigger one for the sports day um we won that one because we won the golf day um but the the, the one that's that's coming up is the uh the bigger one for the sports day so if you feel like you know, winning some races or, yeah, practice your egg and spoon and your sack race. Get ready because uh, <laughs> hopefully we won't get trounced like last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, says that there were only four of us there. So, <laughs> so let's, let's all go. Let's make sure we're there. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> high flow. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Let's let's pray together and then we'll make a start. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for your kindness in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you uh, keep your promises, that you have uh, this covenant love, this faithful love uh, that you keep and, um, and that we can see uh, at work, uh, both in, in the Bible and also in our lives. Lord, help us uh, today to be encouraged, to be built up um, by what we read in Exodus. Uh, help us to see uh, this story about Moses is more than just about Moses. It's about you and um, about your love and your preservation of your people. And help us, Lord, to be encouraged by that for ourselves. Lord, keep us safe, protect us, uh, and grow us in, in, in Christ-likeness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, to start with, I thought it would be good to ask a question about uh, if people know of origin stories, have people heard of origin stories before? I'm thinking of like the superhero kind of ones where you, you have, uh, yep, Sam's raising a hand, great. Uh, you have like these, uh, these, these stories, maybe it's to do with coming of age or it's like this is their background. Sometimes they like to jump back and then go and, and tell a bit about, oh, here's what Superman was like as a kid and that's why, you know, he does the things that he does. That's why he has such an issue with kryptonite. This is what Batman was like as a kid. That's why he's such a violent vigilante. <laughs> um, this is uh, Iron Man, Captain America. Then you've got the supervillains as well, Darth Vader. You've got uh, the prequel trilogy of Star Wars, which my wife loves, and I, I don't as much. <laughs> but I like Revenge of the Sith. That's pretty cool. Um, then you've got Joker, uh, Loki. The list goes on. There's, there's even musicals. Um, if you think of like Wicked, which is kind of an origin story for the Wicked Witch of the West, the Wizard of Oz, is that right, Kelsha? Yep, cool, she's nodding, great. <laughs> um, and then you've got like classic movies like Ferris Bueller, uh, Stand By Me, Breakfast Club, all those sorts of things um, that tell these, these stories about where people come from, uh, what makes them tick, why they are the way that they are. Um, and we, we find those interesting, don't we? Because I think often we can find something that we relate to in there and we go, oh yeah, that's what my child was like, uh, childhood was like, yeah. Um, but I think when we look at a lot of these stories, God is often left out of the picture, isn't it? You, you, you look at it and you think, well, where did God appear in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> but 
But today we have an origin story that's about Moses. Um, we, we, if you look at those first like 20-ish verses, we hear a lot about Moses' origin story, where he came from, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, how he got to where he is. Um, but as we will see today, God is behind the scenes working in everything that's happening there. Uh, there's, there's, uh, God is involved in all of what's going on there. Uh, and specifically, it's God's steadfast love. If you've got an ESV, then you've probably seen steadfast love in your Bible somewhere. Um, if you've got an NIV, I can't remember what it is, but like they have like loving kindness. There are all of these words. If you find in Psalms, like your steadfast love endures forever, your faithful love, that's kind of what it is. It's his covenant love. Um, so what, what does that mean? Well, it means that this is God's uh, deep uh, love for us. That is, that is true to the promises that he makes. So he, he makes promises. He, he has, these, he's, has this covenant with us, this binding relationship uh, that God is always faithful to. Uh, he's always faithful to his people. And this, this, this love is, 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 is the why he's always faithful to his people. And so we'll see how uh, today, when you look at Moses's life, uh, it would be very easy to look at it just on a surface level and go, oh, yeah, cool. So, yep, he went there, did that, did this, then then he grew up a bit. Cool, great. Um, and not really think too much of it. But when you really drill down and think, well, why is all of this stuff happening? It becomes clear that it's because of God's faithful love. Uh, that That's why this stuff is happening. Um, and how, how do we know that? Well, Moses' origin story would have been over before it began if it weren't for God's faithful love. Uh, let's let's have a look at Moses's life, um, and uh, we'll see how God's covenant impacts, uh, yeah, that what what happens there, and then we'll also see how that points us towards what's coming later in Exodus. Well, before we look at that, just want to remind us of the context. We've got the people of Israel who've been slaves in Egypt. They've been uh, in 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 Egypt under oppression. Uh, Pharaoh, uh, the king, has been trying to wipe them out by killing the baby boys. Uh, and the more that he tries to do that, the more that they multiply and the more that they move abroad and the more powerful and mighty they become. And so you've got this really interesting situation where this superpower Egypt is trying to like destroy this weedy little nation, Israel. But everything, everything they do is just not working. And so Israel keeps getting stronger and Egypt keeps feeling like they're losing their grip. And so they keep oppressing them. So, Exodus 1, last uh, week, ends with these words. It says this, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. See that? That, that, that command there? Every son you're going to cast into the Nile, the river, um, but every, every daughter you shall let live. So, for, for the, the Israelite boys, Israelite, think Israelite, Hebrew. That's, that's the connection there. So, if we say Hebrew or Israelite, same thing. All of the Hebrew boys are going to be thrown into the Nile to be killed. That's, that's what Pharaoh wants to do. It's the same thing that was, he was trying to get the midwives to do, but now he's extended that command out to tell everyone to do that, all, all of his people. Um, so that's, that's got to be in the mind of the Egyptians. Now we begin with this in Exodus 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. Uh-oh, Levi was a tribe of Israel. And so the baby was an Israelite, a Hebrew boy. And it's a boy, which means that the death penalty looms over this baby's head. And everyone in Egypt has been commanded 
to throw such babies into the river, the Nile, to kill them. It appears as though the destiny of this baby boy has been set before we've heard anything more. I think the surprising thing is that it doesn't finish there. That it doesn't go, well, there was a baby boy, he got thrown into the Nile, that's it. But no, there's God's covenant love and God is keeping his covenant and keeping his promise. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had plans, but God had other plans and God's plans always prevail. Have a look with me uh, in verse 2. This is uh, the mother. Uh, When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Uh, Now, I I don't know any mothers who don't think their child is a fine child, uh, which is a good thing. Um, But this is one brave mama, isn't she? I mean, think about it. If you're a parent, you know how hard it is to sleep in the first three months, let alone to try and hide the baby for the first three months. I mean, like, how how do you do that? I worry that my kids are waking up the neighbors sometimes um, and and there's like a decent distance. We're not talking like a a tent that that we're living in. But this lady, she hid her baby for three months. She managed to do that. And she knew that this was a big risk. This was a big act of defiance against the king of Egypt. But she just did it. Uh, it's, It's an amazing, amazing courage that she shows there. Similar to the midwife's courage last week. But when she could hide him no longer, this is verse 3, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. I love that she puts him in the reeds by the riverbank. He's in the Nile, but he's not in the Nile. Like, he's... (laughs) Look, Pharaoh. (laughs) It's all above board. (laughs) But he's not not in any danger. Um, And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. That's verse 4. And 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. Yep, it's a real baby, (laughs) crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Uh Uh-oh, again, we've got... The, 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 this is an Israelite baby boy. They know this is an Israelite baby boy. And this is Pharaoh's daughter here. So the king's daughter is there. The king of Egypt's daughter. And, um, and she, she recognizes that this is a, an Israelite boy. So the question must be running through our minds. Does that mean she's going to have him killed? That she'll take him out of the basket and throw him straight in the river? Remember daddy's recent command to the whole nation? kill the baby Israelite boys. Uh, It looks like she would have to have him killed. Pharaoh would certainly think so. But God's covenant love is at work and God had other plans and God's plans always prevail. In verse 7, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So the baby Israelite boy, Moses, uh, he was reunited with his real mum for a while. The Levite woman who, had, who, who was his mum And she nursed him. And get this, she got paid for it. How cool is that? (laughs) God, in his his covenant love and in his plan, had planned it such that 
his own mother, Moses' own mother, would be able to raise him in that in that crucial little early time, and that that Pharaoh's daughter even paid paid her to do that. Amazing. Can you imagine how this would go in Pharaoh's departmental office if that ever reached them? How they would uh, so Pharaoh? It's come to our attention that uh, your daughter has preserved the life of an Israelite baby boy. Uh, and not only did she preserve his life, she gave him back to his biological mother to nurse him. And not only did she do that, but she paid the biological mother to nurse the child. Oh, oh and one more thing. She's decided to adopt him. <laughs> he now lives with us. <laughs> it's not hard to imagine an enraged Pharaoh at this point, is it? Steam coming out of his ears, fury on his brow. Uh, we aren't told about that, but just simply that this Israelite baby boy who faced certain death uh, was still alive. And not only was he alive, but he'd been adopted into the family, into Pharaoh's family. This is clearly God's divine intervention happening because otherwise Moses would already be dead. And, and there's no way he would be alive. And there's no way he would be uh, given back to his mum to be nursed. There's no way he would have been brought into Pharaoh's family. Uh, but all of that has happened. And why has that happened? Because of God's covenant faithful love. Uh, last week we saw how Joseph uh, was a man who, was, who had an in with the king, died. Um, but now it appears there's another man with an in with the king, uh, Moses. That's what it looks like, but that's not going to last too long. Have a look with me, uh, starting in verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people or one of his brothers. Moses knew where he came from. Moses knew his background and who his people were. And so when he was grown up, he was confronted with the reality of what his adopted family, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, were doing to his real family, the Hebrews, the Israelites. He was confronted with what his adopted family, these, the ruling class of Egyptians, were doing to his people who were oppressed, beating them, enslaving them, oppressing them. And he decided to take action. Let's see how. Uh, he looked this way and that way. So he goes like this. Sees there's no one there. Or so he thought. <laughs> he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So wallops the guy, hides him in the sand, kills him, dead. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Uh, Moses took action by killing an Egyptian and hiding him in the sand. And although he, he thought the coast was clear, it turned out it wasn't all that clear. Um, it was just that he thought it was um, because his attempt to mediate this relationship between these two Israelites suddenly uh, left him feeling exposed. If someone walked up to you and said to you, looked you dead in the eye and said, I know what you did. <laughs> Wouldn't you feel like, oh, if, if you've got something to hide, then you'd be like, oh, Oh, they now, they know, they know. Oh, no, they know. Um, but, but if you have nothing to hide, then you'd be like, yeah, well, whatever. Like, <laughs> so it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, so, so I think here we've got a moment where Moses is feeling like, oh, no, they know what I've done. And Moses has something to hide. And so he feels exposed. And he's worried about what the consequences are going to be. I mean, imagine you think, again, you've got Moses, uh, this Hebrew boy who's been welcomed into Pharaoh's family now goes out and kills an Egyptian. How's that going to go with Pharaoh? Not well. <laughs> Not well at all. Uh, Moses starts to freak out. Um, 
and and we see now what what Pharaoh's response was. Was it? Let's let's just think about this. Was it that he was like, wow? Look how brave my uh, adopted grandson is, and and, and how powerful he is. Uh, should or maybe look at look at how great he is at peacekeeping. No, no, no. Read what happens in verse fifteen. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. <laughs> he sought to kill him. Again, that's that's twice now. When you think about it, Pharaoh has wanted Moses dead. He wanted him dead at the beginning, remember? He's trying to wipe out the people of Israel. But now he wants him dead again. Not only generally because he's a Hebrew boy, but specifically because he killed an Egyptian. So once in the beginning, Moses fit the general category of people Pharaoh wanted dead, Israelite baby boys. But now he fits the specific category of being a guy who's wanted for murder by the Egyptian government. Now, depending on whether what Moses did was right or wrong, or, you know, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a complicated situation. Um, but the way that the Egyptians would have seen it is very much as though he's just murdered one of our people. But God's covenant love was at work, and God had other plans to what Pharaoh's plans were. So Pharaoh wants him dead, but that's not God's plan for that time. So instead of the next line being, so Pharaoh summoned his chariots and his horsemen and killed Moses, it's, it's different to that. It says, Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You see, Moses made it out of Egypt and away from Pharaoh to the land of Midian. Uh, not because he was an amazing getaway guy, uh, but because God's covenant love was at work. And God had his hand over him. Do you notice that Midian is the same place where Joseph was sold by his brothers to Midianite traders who then took Joseph to Egypt to sell him on there. So it's, it's really interesting that we're sort of starting to see an unraveling of the process of the people of Israel being taken into slavery. Being Moses going from Egypt back to Midian. There's hope that it's not just going to be the end. Then there's hope that they're not going to live awfully ever after in Egypt, that they're going to have an escape, a rescue, because they're starting to work their way back to being out of there. Let's see what happens uh, in Midian. Um, like every good coming of age story, there's a love interest. Um, and so have a read with me from verse 16 to 22. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. That's like, you know, in the movie where you make the amazing slam dunk or hit a six or whatever, um, and all, all the girls see. <laughs> when they came home to their father, Rule, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, bring, bring him over here that he may eat bread. <laughs> and, and more than that. And, and Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So if you're looking for dating advice from Moses, which is not what this passage is about, but if that's what you're looking for, <laughs> Go hang around some wells and save the day. <laughs> but again, that's not, that's not what this is about. Uh, there are things that really do stand out here from this passage. The first thing, Moses is recognized as an Egyptian. Did you notice that? 
They, they, they identify him as an Egyptian man. Uh, and he, at the end, identifies himself as a sojourner, which is like a traveler, a wanderer, or a stranger or a foreigner. So where does Moses fit in? That's an important question to be thinking about. Uh, is he an Egyptian? Is he an Israelite? Is he a foreigner? It feels like everywhere he goes, he doesn't fit in. That's important because later the people reject Moses and this most likely played a part in that, sort of feeling like, are you really one of us, Moses? Do you really belong? Are you really a Hebrew? Uh, it's interesting here that we've got this, this sort of these two things happening side by side. It's clear that Moses, right from being a baby, is a, indeed a Hebrew. That's really who his family is. But he's been raised by the Egyptians. He's, he's lived a life of, of probably luxury being raised in, in, in Pharaoh's uh, daughter's uh, family. And so we've got this, this, this tension here where he's, he's, he's culturally kind of an Egyptian. He's grown up in that environment, but he's actually a Hebrew. That's where his identity is. Um, and so you can see how he ends up feeling like a foreigner and he goes to Midian and feels like a sojourner. So that's important. Second thing, Moses rescued these women um, from the shepherds who tried to stop them for getting water for their father's flock. So we see here Moses as someone who cares about the concerns of the downtrodden, of the oppressed. Moses is not someone who's going to just stand idly by as wrong things are happening. He's going to intervene. We've seen that with the Egyptian. We see that here uh, with these, these shepherds who are, who are hassling these women. And Moses doesn't stand for that. He, he takes a stand and he, he saves them um, and he waters their flock. He gives them what they need. And so we see... Uh, this, this picture again of Moses is this one who is, is, is someone that God is working through to rescue other people. And that's going to be a theme that's going to keep, keep coming throughout Exodus. Thirdly, Moses is invited to eat bread. Um, so he's invited over for dinner. Um, and then it's like that escalated quickly because the guy's like, hey, while you're here, why don't you live with us? And why don't you marry my daughter? And then, and then they, they get married and then they have a son. Um, and so... It's interesting how in this passage, we start with an Israelite boy, a baby boy whose life is in danger generally, and then specifically, but God keeps preserving him. And then at the end, we have an Israelite baby boy uh, being born here, Gershom. And you see, God's covenant love is at work throughout this passage. God preserved Moses, and so there's hope that he'll preserve Gershom too. Uh, do you notice how God isn't mentioned in the first 22 verses there? So we mentioned earlier about how in a lot of coming-of-age stories, God doesn't get a mention. People just kind of talk about the general stuff that's happening in their day-to-day -day earthly life. Um, in this interesting, in these first 22 verses, we don't actually read about God, but we see everything that he's doing by all of these different things that are going on there. We see that God is behind the scenes making all of this happen because if he weren't there, Moses would be dead, the people would be in slavery, there would be no hope, and that would just be set. But because God is working, and because God has made promises to rescue his people, to give them the promised land, to make them into a great nation, and God is faithful at keeping those promises, we see that there, there is more to what's going on than just the events that are, that are transpiring here. And so then we get to these, these amazing verses in verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. 
God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You notice there are a number of things that we're told about God there in that passage. One, God heard their groaning. Uh, Two, God remembered his covenant. Three, God saw his people and God knew. I think these, these are very helpful for us to remember as well. We'll think about how they impact us in a moment. But if you look at the people of Israel, they're in a bitter situation. They're under a lot of oppression. They're held as a nation collectively in slavery. They, they, they've got like nowhere to go, no, no, no real home. They're just oppressed as a people. They, they, they don't uh, have their, the promised land that they've, that they've been promised. They're, they're still waiting for that. Um, they're isolated. Uh, they're, they're under oppression and they're doing it tough. And, and the Egyptians are making their lives really, really difficult. Um, and so what we're seeing here is a people who are in desperate need in desperate need of help. And they recognize that here. They, they see that they're in desperate need. And so what do they do? They cry out for help. They cry out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? So that these people who've been under oppression, who are, who are in a really difficult, desperate situation, cry out for help. And who hears them? God. God hears them. They aren't, aren't, aren't left unheard. No, God hears their cry. He hears their groaning. Um, not only does he hear, but he cares. He is, he's, he's remembering his covenant here. It's not that God forgot his covenant um, and then somehow remembered, oh yeah, there we go, I've got to keep that. No, it's just that telling us that this is in God's mind as he is uh, looking and, and responding to his people. Uh, he, his, his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. His covenant that he would uh, make Israel into a great nation, that he would put them in a land where they would be safe and they would be a blessing to the world. And so we see how God listens to them and God remembers his covenant and is faithful to his covenant. Uh, we've seen how he's preserved Moses and how he has, has managed to, to make him go from being a baby boy whose life should have been over before it started, according to Pharaoh, um, all the way to being a grown man with his own son and his own wife and his own family. Now, uh, outside of, of that immediate picture of, of slavery uh, in Midian, uh, and we're, we're wondering what's going to happen, but it's not what Pharaoh's plan had been. It's definitely clear that this is God's plan, uh, that Moses would be where he is now. And so we see this verse 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God, God looked upon them uh, and, and he understood what they were going through. It's a bit difficult for us to comprehend that in some sense, but it'll become a bit clearer when, when I talk a bit later about how this relates to us. But God looks at what they're going through and he gets it. He understands what they're going through, the slavery that they're experiencing. Uh, we see God is a loving God, isn't he? He, he cares deeply for his people. He, he isn't indifferent to the, the suffering and the slavery of his people. He cares deeply about his people. And because this is the God who has made his covenant with his people, we know that he's going to do something about this. He's not going to leave them in this situation. There is hope that because God is all-powerful, and because he has made promises and he keeps his promises, that he will rescue these people out of there, out of the slavery. 
when we think about ourselves and we think about how this relates to us today, uh, we, we come at this um, living in, in, in Perth in the 21st century. Uh, we, we're, we're around after the Lord Jesus has come to earth and, and, and died for us. He, he taught us and he rose again. And um, I got that order wrong, but he, he came, he, he was born, became incarnate. Uh, he, he, he lived perfectly, taught us wonderfully. Uh, died for us, rose again, ascended to heaven where he rules now and forevermore. So when we look at these verses, we can see how do these relate to the Lord Jesus and how do they relate to us? So first one, God heard the, the groaning of the people of Israel, right? God hears our prayers. Did you know that? God hears our prayers. Sometimes we might feel like I'm just saying stuff and is, is anyone even hearing me? I think there's an Abba song that's like, what is it? Is there anyone out there, anyone to hear my prayer or something? Uh, yeah. Um, we listen to a lot of Abba in our house, uh, courtesy of my wife and, and, and my daughter and me. <laughs> uh, and essentially that, that Abba song is expressing a sentiment of feeling like there's no one listening to me. Like no one can actually hear my prayer. There's not a soul out there, no one to hear my prayer. But that's not true. God is out there and he listens to our prayers. Did you know that? Did you know that he does actually listen to you when you talk to him? And isn't that awesome? Like he loves us and he cares about us and he listens to us. So when we've got the little things, the little things that are worrying us and we, and we pray and we ask God to help us with that, we know that he hears our prayers. He might not always answer it exactly the way that we want it to be answered, but he hears us and there's great comfort and joy in that truth. And we know that Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is right there uh, in, in the throne room with the Father interceding for us. And the Holy Spirit, He helps us to pray. When we don't know what to pray, He helps us to pray. How many of us have been in a situation where we don't know what to pray? <laughs> Should we raise both hands? I mean, like, yeah, there's lots of times, aren't there, where we feel like, what am I going to say? I don't even know. Like, but God helps us and He helps us pray. And, and, and He hears our prayers. And it's a wonderful truth to hold on to. Uh, in times of trial, in times of difficulty, and also in the good times. Because uh, I think sometimes in the good times, we might feel like, I don't need to pray. But that's not true. We, we will always need to be communing with our Father uh, in relationship with Him, in the Lord Jesus, and in the Holy Spirit. Then we also see how God remembered His covenant with them. Well, God remembers His covenant with us, His promise to redeem us in Jesus Christ. The, the new covenant in Jesus' blood uh, by which we are redeemed. We'll talk about that in a minute when we share the Lord's Supper. Uh, but God doesn't forget his covenant. He remembers his covenant. The, the, the promises that God has made, the binding agreement he's made with us, although we mess it up all the time, God never messes it up and he always keeps it. And, and that, that, that's a wonderful encouragement to us because it means that our standing before God is dependent on him and on him keeping his covenant, which is what he's done in Jesus. Jesus uh, took uh, the, the penalty for our sin upon himself on the cross that we might go free. And so God has fulfilled his covenant. God sees us. Uh, God is watching over us. I, I think that's also important to remember. We, we can sometimes forget that, that God is, is, is looking over us, watching over us, seeing what we're going through, understanding what's happening to us, um, and that he cares deeply. He, he isn't a God who uh, isn't uh, caring for us. No, he, he cares deeply. 
He looks over us. He watches over us. And he knows. Uh, Jesus knows what we're going through. Um, you, you might be going through a difficult time in your life. Maybe there's stuff that's not going right. Maybe there are challenges. But you know that Jesus knows what it's like to be a human and to go through challenges? Did you know that, that Jesus gets it? I find that such a great encouragement to us, uh, that, that Jesus actually understands what it's like. Why? Because he's been through it himself. He came to this earth and, and he, was, he went through the trials and the struggles of being a human because he is a human and, and he knows what it's like. And so he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He, he is in, in no way sinful like we are. We're real sinners. Jesus is in no way sinful. But in, in, in experiencing the challenges and struggles of human life, he knows exactly what's that, what that's like. And so when we see here, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. When we see in Jesus, God sees us and God knows. God knows what it's like. And there's great comfort in that, isn't there, for all of us. Um, and when we, when we think about all of these different things and we put them all together, we, we're reminded of God's covenant love, uh, his faithful love, the love that, that never fails, his steadfast love that endures, not for a little while, not for two weeks, but forever, his faithful love that will never fail. Um, and so when we, when we think about that faithful love, we remember that the ultimate example of that faithful love is what Jesus did for us on the cross that Jesus would take our sin on, on himself uh, and would in turn give us his righteousness as a free gift. You see, God loves us and he has a plan and he's working that plan out. We see that in Moses' life. We see how there's a guy who, who according to the, the law of the land, should have been dead, um, but God kept him alive. Then he, he was fighting for his people. Again, his life was in threat, but God kept him alive. Then he was fighting some shepherds to try and protect some ladies and God protected his life again. And God continued to protect his life and continued to work through Moses until the purpose for which he'd, he'd raised Moses up was accomplished. And that's awesome because we see God is the one who's in control. You see, when we look at all of these different origin stories, um, and if we were to think about our own origin story, if you think, well, if someone was going to make a movie or write a book of our own origin story, uh, who would be the main character? I think often we would tend to think it would be ourselves, wouldn't it? Like it would be all about me. we all about how um, I, I'll tell you a story about how I rolled a, a, a trike thing um, that my dad took up a really high hill that was probably not the greatest idea. But anyway, that's not important. The story shouldn't be about me. It should be about God. So like all of us have our, our stories of where we came from, uh, what, what we've done growing up, um, things that we think are really cool and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, each of our stories ought to really be all about God and his love and his covenant and how he has preserved us and kept us safe. You see, uh, if, if, you, if you've got uh, the, these things that in mind that we've been looking at from verses 23 to 25, there are some questions that I think it's helpful for us to ask ourselves. Do you wonder if God remembers the promises he's made? The relationship he has with us. This passage tells us that he does remember. Do you wonder if God sees you? This passage tells us that he does. Do you wonder if God gets you? Like he really knows what's going on in your life and how you feel about it. This passage tells us that he does. And do you wonder if God hears your prayers? 
this passage tells us that he does. These are great encouraging words to us that can help us to keep going in the midst of whatever challenges or trials we're facing. Each of us need to come to God to cry out for help. Uh, You see, the people of Israel were slaves to Egypt. Uh, We're slaves by nature to something far more sinister, which, which we're all across humanity including the Israelites, by nature enslaved to sin. Uh, That is our rebellion against God. That is our drive to tell God that we don't want him to rule, but we want to rule. That we want to say that we're the boss, that we we want to do things our way. Um, That we don't want to obey God. Um, that's, 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 That's our natural condition of being slaves to that. Something that we can't actually undo ourselves. But what, what happens when you're a slave? <laughs> we need to first recognize that we are a slave and then we need to ask the one who can rescue us to rescue us. Uh, just like the people of Israel here cried out to God for rescue, for all of us, we need to cry out to God for rescue. Um, if, if we've never done that, we need to do that ASAP because Jesus is coming back. We're all going to die. We don't know when we're going to stand before God's throne. But by nature, we're slaves to sin. But we need to be rescued from that and made right with Jesus. And we can do that. Uh, we, we can't do that in ourselves, but Jesus has, has done everything necessary to make that possible. And, and so all that's left for us to do is to recognize our state as sinners and to ask Jesus to rescue us from that slavery. And then he does. And that's awesome. I will pray. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have this amazing covenant love, that uh, you keep your promises, that you uh, show us your love, that you preserve your people. Lord, we looked at Moses' life today and we see how, uh, although your name uh, isn't mentioned in the first 22 verses, uh, your fingerprints are over everything that's happening there. Uh, We see how you, Lord God, orchestrate all of these things to happen, uh, to preserve your people and for your glory. And we praise you, God. We thank you that we are found in you for all of those who believe. Lord, we we come to you uh, acknowledging that uh, our natural state is as slaves to sin. Uh, But we thank you that in your great love, you, Lord Jesus, have acted to redeem us from that, to uh, rescue us from our slavery. And that you did that by giving your blood as the life payment in our place on the cross that we can go free, that you purchased us free from slavery. And we thank you, Jesus, for that. We turn to you. We trust you. Lord, help us to remember that you do hear our prayers, that you do always remember your covenant, and that you do see us and that you get what's going on for us. Lord, give us great comfort and courage in the face of whatever circumstances may come our way, knowing that you know what it's like and and that you love us and that you've worked to redeem us and help us, Lord, out of thankfulness to you, uh, to keep uh, coming to you always, uh, knowing that you are our loving Father and trusting and relying on you always. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing And Can It Be, uh, which is a wonderful song that has far too many chords in it. Um, and it, it says, And can it be that I should gain uh, an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, uh, who caused his pain for me to him who death pursued. Yeah, and and, and we see uh, how Jesus, in his amazing love, died for those who caused his death. 
What a great God and a kind God and a gracious God. Let's let's praise him now. Thank you. <laughs>